Well, hello. Welcome back to Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California. Each week, we're talking about how habits build you and about how you can build better habits. I'm Jeff Bruce, one of the pastors here. I'm joined by Creekside's Pastor of Discipleship. I think that's your official title. Today. (laughs) You're also my dad, John Bruce. Dad, how are you? I'm doing very well. Grateful to be here. Good, good, good. We're going to continue our new series on the habits of a missionary today. The habits of a missionary. Jesus' final words to his disciples were not, build a church facility so that the world might come to you. No, he says, go and make disciples. As you said last time, Dad, Jesus never commands the world to come to the church, but he does command the church to go to the world. John 17 and John 20, Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. So every Christian is commanded by Christ and empowered by the Spirit to go into the world and make disciples, which means every single Christian is a missionary. If you are a Christian, you have been sent by Christ. Missio, the Latin word for sent. You are a sent one. That is all of us. So we're going to look at the habits of a missionary. If each of us are missionaries, well, then how do missionaries think? How do they speak? How do they act? What are their priorities? What are their rhythms of life? Those are the questions that we are tackling in the next few weeks. And to help us, we're using a book again, just like we did with the disciple making. And this time we're using Sam Chan's brand new book, which is entitled How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy, Personal Evangelism in a skeptical world. Chan is a practitioner. He's an evangelist. He lives and breathes this stuff. And from his years of thinking and experience, he gives us eight pro tips on how to live like a missionary. We're going to look at each of these in eight episodes. Last week, we started the series by looking at Sam's first chapter, and we learned that a missionary is someone who merges their universes. A missionary is someone who connects their Christian universe, that social network, with their non-Christian universe that social network. Now, I think, Dad, there's an assumption in chapter one, and the assumption is that you have a non-Christian universe. There are two universes. That there are two, un- that there's a multiverse <laughs> yes, exactly. of friendships, and you have one that is Christian and another that is not Christian. But what if that's not the case? I think some believers hear this and go, you know, I have great Christian friendships, but if I'm honest... I think about my non-Christian relationships, and there's not a lot of relationship there. Maybe acquaintances, but it's marginal, maybe even non-existent. And that, and that really gets into the, the second chapter, doesn't it, where Chan says, go to their things. That is the second habit of a missionary, is that we go to their things. We don't wait for non-Christians to come to our things. Instead, we take the first step and go to their things. Dad, why is this principle this, this rhythm so important for us to grasp? I, I think, uh, as we said last week, I don't think there can be spiritual influence without social connection. And uh, just being a total stranger and walking up to somebody and saying, do you know Jesus, is of limited value. Um, we really influence the people who know us best and whom we know the best. And so we've, we've got to find a way. I, one of the things that really convicts me about Jesus is the insults that were given to him. He was called a friend of sinners. And I think, how many times have people accused me of being a friend of sinners? He was called a glutton and a drunkard because he went to their parties. He, he hung out with them and did what they did. And yet when he was criticized for that, he says, where else would you expect to find a position than among 
um, ill people. So Jesus really socialized often with people, with, with non-believers, with rebels against God. And if I'm to walk like Jesus, I have to walk the same way. That's good. Yeah, you have to have the social connection first. When you mentioned uh, going up as a complete stranger, you know, to someone and saying, do you know Jesus? That's happened to me before. And uh, I was actually walking to church one night to preach at our evening service, and a guy accosted me and said, do you know Jesus? And I said, yeah, actually, I'm uh, going right now. And then he interrupted me and gave me the four spiritual laws and then, you know, prayed with me to receive Christ and sent me on my way. And uh I'm sure he felt very pleased with his faithfulness, but uh, that's the problem, right? That, that to really share the gospel with someone, we have to know them pretty deeply and, and establish trust. Exactly. He didn't have the gift of listening. Right. And we'll get to that <laughs> yeah. rhythm in another chapter. Maybe yeah. I should have saved that illustration for that, uh, that rhythm. But um, I, okay, so here's one question. Why is that order important? Why is it that we learn to go to non-believers' events, parties, functions, and then they will come to our things. Why not start by going to our acquaintances in the world and say, hey, come to our things, and then eventually we'll go to their things? Yeah. Well, I think, I think Christians can maybe relate it if they have a Buddhist neighbor, and their Buddhist neighbor invites them to come to temple with right. them. How would we respond? And we, well, we don't know what goes on in Buddhist temples, and it would be very uncomfortable for us. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think it's making the other person comfortable with us first, by letting them be the host, by letting them make the rules, by us coming into their world before they're going to feel comfortable coming into ours. They have to see that we're kind of normal, that uh, <laughs> we're like we're more like them than we are unlike them, before they will be able to trust coming into a strange world that they have nothing, they know nothing about. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to do that place-taking exercise, to imagine what it would be like uh, for us to get invited to something that seems foreign or strange. And, and church increasingly will feel strange and foreign, especially in a post-Christian culture. And uh, it's intimidating. It is not people's home turf. Right, right. And so we have to learn to exist in their home turf <laughs> yeah. and establish rapport there to show that we genuinely enjoy a relationship with them. Right. Uh, before they will have any interest in, in attending a churchy thing. Right. And, and by going to their things, we get to know them much better. And so we may not invite them to come to church right away. We may invite them to come to dinner at our house, where there are, there are a few Christian friends, a few non-Christian friends. But we will, you know, we're not going to throw them into the deep end of the pool right away, kind of depending on what their background and what they're used to. Mm -hmm. That's good. So... Why, why is why don't we do this? This seems really straightforward. Go hang out with non-believers socially. Take the initiative to do that. What are the barriers here? I think the first barrier for a lot of sincere Christians is the fear that they will be compromising themselves. <laughs> that somehow, you know, if I'm if I'm around people doing certain things that I wouldn't do or I wouldn't approve of, uh, somehow I'm going to. Uh, be drawn into sin, or, or people are going to see me and wonder, well, why are you doing that, or why are you there, or things, uh, things like that. And, and so I think that's one thing, is just a fear of, of somehow compromising our witness. Now, um, you're probably not going to go with your, your non-Christian friends to a strip club. That's, that would probably not work, but you could go to, with them to a pub, 
right. or, or, or something like that. And I think it's just, again, Jesus is our model. We're to right. walk as he, as he walked. And Jesus had no problem going to the homes of both his enemies for dinners and to his to uh, non-believers, to tax gatherers and publicans and all these people that the, the, the religious people of Israel avoided like the plague. Jesus freely um, socialized with those people without compromising his holiness, without compromising his walk with God. Yeah, it's an astonishing thing about Jesus is, is that he was, I think Scott McKnight said, that Jesus is a contagion of purity hmm. and a contagion of holiness, yeah. that, that he was able to be completely immersed in a social world of people who were far from God, and yet people seemed to contract <laughs> his holiness, yeah. his healing, when they were around him, um, all the while he did not contract their sinfulness or yeah. their impurity, yeah. um, and somehow muddy himself. And um, obviously, he's Jesus, and we're not. But he sends us into the world, and we are his representatives with his spirit inside of us. And so we have to have a confidence that even when we don't feel like we're on that home turf, Jesus wants to do the same things. Um, and, and in his culture, it would have been a scandalous thing to connect with some of the people that he connected with. Yeah. Eating was a very intimate thing. It was association. It was, we're, we're shoulder to shoulder. We have a, a warm relationship with each other that I, I am pleased with this person. I welcome them into my life. And, uh, the, the religious people of his day were scandalized by the people he ate with. Right. No, that's very good. I, I think, um, it was Jesus's understanding that you could not be contaminated by what came from the outside. Yeah. It was always what came from the inside. And that's why he could go into these situations so confidently, because he wasn't worried about being polluted, because he knew his own heart was pure. And I think that's a good, a good model for us, too, that if our, we're walking with God and we're, we're not entertaining compromise our sin within ourselves, we can go into those situations very confidently, mm -hmm. depending on him. I think what happens, and this brings us to a second reason I think we don't do this, is we can, we can rationalize that, well, I don't want to compromise, when in fact the real issue is I just don't want to do that. That's just that's not something I I prefer to do. I That's the I, spiritual way of saying it's inconvenient and I don't want to spend time doing it. Yeah, it's just like I you know, I don't I don't like to socialize. I don't I don't like to go to dinners. I don't like to go to parties. I'd rather stay home and watch television or or whatever it is. And I think the solution to that is is again Christ that I'm sure it was difficult for Jesus to leave heaven. <laughs> and, and come to this world and become a human being and subject to all of our pains and, and, and weaknesses and failings, and yet he does it because of God's great love for us. And I think that's the perspective we have. My preferences, my tastes are really not even on the table here. They're, that's irrelevant. I'm a missionary, yeah. and so I am willing to sacrifice whatever I need to sacrifice in order to spend time with people that God is reaching out to, to spend time with lost people that God loves. That is so good, and I think it is so important to grasp that this is not a personality trait. This is not for extroverted people right. to go socialize with non-believers right. in this way. It's a spiritual discipline, and I think viewing it that way helps to give clarity to what you're doing. If you are a missionary, there is no choice but to create social connection and to go into their turf. And Jesus is obviously the example par excellence yeah. of that, that he leaves heaven to, to come to this um, 
world under the reign of, of Satan. And maybe a helpful way for listeners to conceptualize it is if you've been on a mission trip, you, you have such a crystal clear focus that I'm going to spend money. This is going to be expensive. It's not going to be comfortable. There's a cost to it, but it's worth it because we're going to reach these people. And yet we don't bring that same mindset home <laughs> to think about our neighbors or our network or anyone else that I'm not going to spend money on them. I'm not going to spend my time on them, even though those are the people God's calling us to reach. So it's a spiritual discipline. And, yeah. and, and maybe... One of the ways we go against culture is by being more sociable than our culture. Yes, absolutely. People aren't that hospitable in the Bay Area. No. Relative to, to basically the rest of the world. People yeah. aren't that warm and welcoming. And we have to be a counterculture of people who really want to develop friendships, spend time with people, who make time in our schedule. We're not so busy with work and all of our ambitions that we don't have time for people. And exactly. so you have to cut against the culture and against your own preferences to live like a missionary in this way. But I think seeing it as a spiritual discipline that I cannot become like Jesus yeah. unless I become a friend to tax collectors and sinners. Exactly. That's got to be the driver. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. I, I think, you know, when you just talk about hospitality, it's really easy to let ourselves off the hook by saying, well, I just don't have the, I don't have that gift. I, I, I don't like to cook. I don't like to clean. I, I don't like to have people in my house or anything like that. So I'm not going to do it. Even right. though the Bible commands me to do it rather than saying, you know, it's a discipline. It's just, I've got to deny myself. There is no obedience without self-denial. <laughs> I also don't really like, uh, let's see, forgiving one another, bearing yeah. <laughs> other people's burdens. Let's see how the other one another is, you know, show hospitality to one another is just as much a command. And yeah. that's good. And we'll get to that in chapter three. So yeah. there's a, yeah, yeah. the, the third pre rhythm. Preview. So I, I, I was going to say, I think a third reason that we, uh, don't go to their things is because they don't ask us. Um, you know, we've we've lived so long separate lives. We're friendly people, but we're kind of distant people. Yeah. And so when they think of of who they're going to invite to go to this particular thing, uh, we're not at the top of the list because mm -hmm. they don't think we'd be interested and they don't want to be rejected. And so I think the answer to that is just to ask if you can come to something. I I've really mm -hmm. gotten I've really gotten to know my my neighbor simply because when I found out he coached a, a fifth-grade girls' basketball team, I asked him, can I come to the game? I'd, I'd love to watch you coach. I'd love to watch you. And so just attending those games with them um, really gave us a basis for a relationship there. Yeah. And then you have something to talk to, something to look forward to, that you came, do you want to come again? All yeah, of those kind exactly, of things. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, once, you, once people find out that you really are interested in what they're interested in, they will invite you all the time. Yeah. But we have to break the ice. Mm -hmm. That's good. So those are some of the barriers. How do you make a start at this? Because I think for some of our listeners, you might think, yeah, I get it. Jesus came to earth. He left his comfort zone. I'm going to leave my comfort zone, right? They get the, the principle here that we have to go to their things, that we take the first step like Jesus. But, but how do you practically just start to do that? One thing I think really helpful is join a group. Yeah, I mean, find something that you like to do that a group of people does, right? And and that way you have something to go to with them. So um, when my friend wanted to start a book group, book club, um, I'd never been in a book club before. It sounded like a drag to me, but but <laughs> but but we started this book club, and I was in it for two decades. And yeah. we we read a uh, we read a different contemporary novel every. Um, 
every month and there were a lot of months where I was reading like mad the last night before it was going to happen and stuff like that to get it done. It was a great experience and really got to know these people well. Um, you know, your kid, if your kids are in sports, go with them to their competitions, volunteer to, to, you know, bring refreshments or something like that. Um, if you if you like cooking, get in a cooking club. But I think find a group of people who are organized already to do something you enjoy doing or you need to do because your kids are in it and involve yourself in that. That's one of the easiest ways to begin doing things with people um, I've found. That's great. And I think once you find that group of common interest, work, whatever, you know, make yourself indispensable to the group. Yeah is the next thing you do. Yeah. So one of the things Chan says is that get on their rosters yeah. for different things. So yeah. I just think of kids' sports are a great example. Obviously, there's different seasons of life. But look, if you have kids, there's a function for everything. And as believers, I think we should think, I'm going to be the most indispensable person <laughs> to this team. This is going to be one of my major ministries for this season of life. And so... You know, it's you're not the drop-off parent who just kind of checks out. You have this incredible mission field. You're going to come to the practices. You're going to carve out time. You're going to make relationships. You're going to be on the snack roster, whatever. If you can coach, I mean, I gosh, the opportunities you have to connect with people coaching, if you have any sports background, are just unbelievable. Yeah, um, that's good. You know, find, find things... Um, with, with kids where you have parents with similar concerns, you know, and, and want to invest in their kids. And there's a lot of, I mean, parents are really concerned about the well-being of their kids. You know, we went to a cooperative preschool with our kids where we had to be involved in the teaching, and it's a ton of work, and it's taxing. But guess what? You get to spend lots of time with other parents, and then they're talking about anxieties and fears about raising their kids. I mean, the spiritual conversations come very naturally yeah. when you're in that kind of um, context, but you got to pay a price. You, you got to pay a price to say, it's going to cost me something to be part of this group. And that communicates value to everybody else in the group, that I'm not just here to get from this group. I really want to make it as good as it can be. Yeah, yeah. No, I think when I was on my swim team, um, I got on the board, and nobody wants to be on the board. You know, it's just, but I found it was a great way to minister, you know, yeah. and we met with every month all together and uh, got got to have real influence did, did, did that for years and mm -hmm. i i was just thinking about back in my when i went, pledged my fraternity before i became a christian i got the gold brick award for the pledge class i did the least of anybody in my <laughs> pledge class for the fraternity and uh, i thought well that's the way christ one way christ has changed me yeah is i don't try to get by with the least anymore because it's the people who make themselves indispensable as you say are the people who have the real influence yeah and, and if you look at non-believers who show up at Creekside, almost always they're brought by someone. Always. Yeah. And that person, I guarantee you, spent sometimes years connecting with them at the job, in the neighborhood, through a network. And now that person's ready to take the step because they have a relational connection to the church. That's the bridge that they can walk across. Yeah to get to the gospel. Yeah, yeah. But it did not start with them saying, hey, you want to come to church on Sunday? Yeah, yeah. Now, being a missionary is not easy. It, it, we do pay a price. And I think the more Christians can realize the number one barrier to me having an effective ministry with nonbelievers is my own selfishness. 
Um, I think that that is really helpful. That's the thing. My lack of love for people is really what keeps me from having a ministry because the more I love people, the more I look for opportunities to serve people in just practical ways, the more opportunities God gives me to to, to have an influence. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah, I, I think, and I think there are different seasons of this, right, in your life where there are different doors that are going to open and doors that are going to close. You know, when you're a young professional, you have lots of bandwidth for work yeah. and, and just investing in work relationships, going to things after work with your coworkers, right. connecting with them that way. Once you have kids, boy, your mission field really revolves around your, your kids, and the opportunities with other parents that, that open up there. As you get older, what do you think? I mean, in that next season of life for people, where do some of those opportunities open up? Um, I Just kind of some of the things I have. You, you just, you can't kind of push your feet up and say, well, I've done my job and, uh, <laughs> you know, and just kind of coast through the rest of life. Um, you have to look for opportunities to connect with people. Mm-hmm. Um and sometimes you have to work hard to find those opportunities, but common interests, yeah. um, people in your neighborhood. Yeah. I think need is another huge one because yeah. there's always needs in the community and problems that need to be solved. Yeah. And just making yourself um, a person who will be indispensable to that. Yeah. I know our neighborhood, you know, <laughs> every few years we start a neighborhood watch, it seems like, you know, crime will rise and then we start a neighborhood watch and apparently it's successful because then nothing happens and so there's no reason for the group to meet. But, you know, we try this thing and one of our things is just, you know, we're going to host this. We're going we're gonna to host the meeting because it's just an excuse, yeah. right? We do care about the neighborhood and we want it We want it to be safe, but but beyond that, it's just this is welcoming people into our house that would never come into our house, but it's exactly. just an excuse to get people in there, make them feel welcome. And, uh, you know, the group's been dormant for years, but eventually I'm sure it'll, you know, kick back up at some point and then, you know, we'll be ready. I'll come burglarize your house and, uh, that'll motivate the neighborhood. That's, that's brilliant. <laughs> Thanks dad. What could go wrong could with go that wrong? plan? It's good. Yeah. I think the cost thing, just to reiterate that, uh, one practical tip here that I've found helpful is Brian Howard, a guy who's coached both of us. One of his strategies for being a missionary is that <laughs> he will say no when Christians ask him to do things. But if any neighbor or anyone in his non-Christian network asks him to do something, his default is yes. Yeah. I'll make time for that. And yeah. so just that mind shift that if a, you know, if, if someone who doesn't know Jesus asks me, invites me to do something, and I don't always do this well, but it's just a great reminder that, you know, oh God, give me opportunities. And then someone does say yes. Not this opportunity. Not this opportunity though, right? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. And, and, and say yes, even if it feels like I'm going to pay a price yeah. to do that. You probably will. Because you probably will. Yeah, yeah. It does not start with them entering your comfort zone, but you entering theirs. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's good. Now, I remember hearing Brian say that, accept every invitation. Yeah, that's good. So I think one question that might be percolating in people's minds with this is we're very much pushing people to be in the world. Mm -hmm. And they go, yeah, I know I'm supposed to be in the world, but isn't there a risk of compromise? Like, when do I know that I am too, that, that I'm becoming of the world? And not not in the world because I can see um, people, especially coming out of certain situations, coming to Christ, and they knew what that other friend group was like. You know, Proverbs certainly says stuff about warning about uh, you know that, that we are shaped by the friendships that we cultivate, and and uh, you know a companion of fools suffers harm. Yeah, and 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 so 
when do you, where do you draw the line, I guess, is the question. How do you know when the influence is going in the wrong direction? And, and are there any guardrails you need to put on that? I remember somebody saying, if you're made of dynamite, stay away from blast furnaces. <laughs> and uh, I, I just think you have to know what tempts you. And, and stay away from, we're to make no provision for the flesh. Right. And so stay away from those situations. So I remember when I, w- when I worked at Cal, um, a, bunch of, a bunch of Christians were going to go over and, and preach the gospel in topless bars. And I didn't volunteer to go because I, I didn't have to pray about it. I didn't have to think about it. I just knew that's not the ministry God's calling me to. Was this a bunch of <laughs> freshman guys who came up with this idea? I mean, what, uh, yeah. It wasn't a good idea, but... <laughs> But the point is, is you know your background, you know the situations that you come into that, that may be too familiar. They may get you back into old habits or things like that. You don't go into those things. Mm-hmm. You, have to be, you have to be careful about that. So, um, you know, we're, God's going to use us as we pursue holiness. Right. And so if it compromises your holiness to go into situations, then... God's probably got another ministry for you than that one. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's good. I think also knowing why you're there yeah. is important. Yeah. Um, that, that you have to th- develop the mindset of a missionary, that yeah. I am here to to reach these people. And that doesn't mean some sort of bait and switch ulterior motto, I'm gonna spring the gospel on you. It means I'm gonna I'm I am cultivating this relationship because I want to represent Christ to this person. That's our deepest identity. That's the truest thing about us. Yeah. So I want to show him Christ in my actions, my words, the way I listen, and ultimately in, in what I share about who he is, because the most loving thing I could do is share Jesus with this individual. Yeah. And I think when you forget you're a missionary, that's when you become of the world. Yeah. That you, that, oh, no, wait, I'm sent here. I'm sent into this situation. Yeah, um, exactly. And, and viewing it just like I was in a foreign culture or a country coming in there, and I'm the weirdo here. That's yeah. fine. I'm the weirdo trying to love these people. And um, yeah, and just to reiterate your point, right? If you have any background with substance abuse or things like that, there are going to be situations you need to avoid. But I think pendulum-wise, most Christians just for convenience sake um, avoid situations where they're outside their comfort zone rather than really engaging in them. Exactly. I think too, it, 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 it doesn't have to be that obvious, but I think, for example, if you're very competitive and you invite your friends to go play golf together, but you cannot, you cannot fi- finish a round of cough without losing your, without losing your mind on a few holes. Uh, golf is probably not a good mission field for you. Um, you know what I mean? And that's we all have different weaknesses. What are you insinuating about my golf game with uh, that one, Dad? So. <laughs> not a thing. Uh, not a thing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think just remembering. Um, I, I just there was a lot of I remember one of our one of your team's soccer games and uh, a non-believing friend came came in to, to the game and and after the game he says I've never seen you like this before <laughs> I was just so competitive as a coach you know and, and I realized oh yeah, no, I should, this that, is this is not where I should have invited that <laughs> gene definitely runs in our family yeah yeah. Yeah. I want to show you the love of Christ as I'm coaching, you know, eight-year-olds in a soccer field. And I also really want to win. I really, I really want to win. I've got to yeah. decide which one it is. <laughs> am I concerned about this guy's eternal soul or am I concerned about the score of this game? Oh, man. 
yeah. Anyway, and that's the tension you walk in when you're in and not of. It's not an easy thing to navigate all the time. And that's why we really, that's why it's a spiritual discipline. And it's also a walk of faith that we really have to develop dependence on God, that I'm, that it's a, there's a spiritual war going on, and, and this is hard. Yeah. And, and there are casualties out on the field of, of, of Christians who have gotten so in the world that they just become of the world, and yeah. they lose their distinctiveness. Exactly. And, and so, hopefully, the challenge to be more engaged in these relationships spurs another challenge, which is, I need to be really deeply rooted in the Word and prayer. Yeah. And and as Jesus said, it's not co- what comes from out that ultimately defiles, but from within. Right. It's it's things in my own heart are the greatest threat to me. Exactly. And so I really need to be working on that. But the bottom line is you don't catch sin from sinners. Yeah, you don't. Sin is already in you. Yeah. And you cannot create some perfect environment in which you are free from these influences, because the influences are already within you. Exactly. You take them wherever you go. Yeah, and so the safest place to be is abiding in Jesus, yeah. not abiding in some imagined Christian subculture or ghetto where you can be free from these things. Because guess what? That subculture <laughs> subculture is filled with worldliness as well. Yeah, yeah. It'll get you with something else. It'll get you with something else, yeah. exactly. Yeah. No, that's good. Good. Well, I think that uh, just about covers it, unless you have anything else you'd like to add. I think that covers it. Great. Well, I hope that was helpful, practical to you listeners, and pray for you this week as you think, how am I going to engage people in my neighborhood, in my social network, at work? How can I lean in and meet a need and uh, fellowship with with non-Christians in that way? Pray this is helpful. We'll be back soon um, to talk more. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dad.